electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. A big boost for the major averages today. Dow's up nearly 700 points near the highs of the day. NASDAQ soaring 3%. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market. It is broad, this rally. We've got almost every Dow stock higher. The two that are lower, earnings-related, IBM and J&J, both getting dinged, especially by that stronger dollar. The dollar is weakening today, and that could be a big factor behind today's rally. S&P up. Nicely, 2.5% every sector in the green. The leader today is industrials, along with communication services and financials. I will also note that big cap tech is really helping things out. Look at the top performers in the NASDAQ 100. Apple, for instance, is reversing its decline from yesterday. Remember, there were worries about Apple pulling back on spending and hiring. Today, it's one of the leaders. So are some of the hardest hit stocks in this market, like Match Group, which was trading near the lows. 52-week lows, Marvell Technologies, so the, the semiconductors doing well, Meta, Netflix earnings after the bell. This group is going to be very key to watch. We've got a great lineup coming your way, including three CEOs of companies that just reported earnings. In a moment, we will talk to Citizens Financial Group CEO, his stock moving higher today on results, along with a boost for the whole financial sector. Plus, the CEO of pharma giant Novartis, also making a move higher. And then later, the new boss at Hasbro, his first TV interview since taking the top job. Let's get to today's market dashboard as stocks rally. Mike, what are you focused on? Uh, well, we, we basically had this real buying stampede that seemed to get going. No! Microphone issue. Our microphone is not on. Uh, but now it is. Uh, we do have this buying stampede that seems to get going uh, as we uh, sort of approach the top end of this one-month trading range we got into. Systematic traders seem like they piled on after we got into this mode for a little while above 3,900. I've been talking about the fact that for the past two weeks, the market has shown signs that big investors were lightly exposed to stocks coming into July, and that's proven out. Now, it hasn't really gotten us very far. We're basically just barely breaking above that trend line, 50-day moving average, also right here. So a lot of things have come together to allow this chase to occur right now. Up around 4,000 on the S&P is really the line. A lot of folks feel like we have to hurdle above. There's kind of a gap over there. So it's progress. I do think natural gas flowing back into Europe was part of the story this morning. And just a general easing back from the recession is imminent trade. Credit spreads coming in pretty hard. Take a look at a measure of small cap relative performance. Small cap 600. This is the more profitable, mature small caps relative to the Russell 2000. They're both up 3% today. This is a 10-year chart of small cap 600 relative to Russell 2000. General uptrend. When does it go down? In big spec moves like we got in 2020 and 2021. So this is kind of a safety quality trade. We're, we're kind of coming in off that a little bit. Maybe that means some of the speculative juices are starting to flow again. You said one of the, the reasons behind the rally, this mentality that recession is not here yet. And, and maybe it looks like we could get a soft landing. Yeah. I wanted to highlight earnings so far because CNBC puts together a scorecard. We're not we're not we're knee deep in earnings season. It's still early. But look, look what's happening. Everyone's beating. And yes, there were some low expectations, but, every, but you know, the mantra was that the analysts are actually too optimistic. Guess what? Earnings per share are up 6% versus a year ago. Revenues 
up 11 percent. Yeah. Doesn't that bode well for the economy? Well, it does. We're beating at the usual rate. Now, only about 10 percent of the S&P has reported so far. So obviously things can change. We have some bellwethers to come. The bank earnings basically said we don't see the trouble right now. Maybe down the road it's going to get worse. But right now the consumer and companies are in good shape. And yes, the beat rate is up around 80 percent on earnings. That's the typical uh, rate. Uh, the big bear case was, yeah, sure, stock valuations are down, but wait until earnings estimates fall for the second half of the year and next year. And so far hasn't happened yet. It still could happen. We still could have the economy soften up, but we're not seeing the evidence yet in the market is essentially just taking one step back from that idea that earnings are really going to erode fast. Mike, thank you. We'll see you in the market zone. We're going to pick right, right up where you, what you said about the banks because Citizen Financial, the latest to report shares in the green today after second quarter results. Net interest income up 31 percent in the quarter, boosted by better margins and its recent acquisitions of HSBC's East Coast retail branches and investors Bancorp. Shares, however, down about 20 percent year to date. Joining us now, Citizens Financial Group CEO Bruce Fonson. Bruce, it's great to have you back on the show. And, and it does look like you, you put out some decent numbers and guidance, a constructive tone on the conference call. Explain that disconnect from what we're seeing in the markets and, and the bank stocks like yours and what you're seeing in the economy. Yeah. Um, so I thought we had a very strong quarter. So one of the things that uh, was noteworthy is we closed on our investors acquisition. We had closed on uh, HSBC acquisition in the middle of the first quarter. So we're hard at work in integrating uh, those two and really uh, pushing forward in the New York City metro area. Uh, the financials all are uh, uh, showing uh, strong performance across all metrics. So net interest income uh, is benefiting from the rate and rise in rates. Uh, we also have uh, the benefit of bringing those two balance sheets or uh, bigger now. And so we're benefiting from uh, uh, the higher spread income that goes along with those. Uh, our fees have proven to be resilient. We're doing a good job on expenses and credit is about as pristine as it gets. Uh, so, yeah, so that raises the question. So what uh, why aren't the stocks? <laughs> what is the market trading? telling us? Uh, what's, there's a disconnect between what we're actually producing and what the market's valuing that at. And I think it all goes to the outlook for the future that uh, the market still feels uh, a recession is uh, maybe slightly more likely than not. And if there is a recession, bank credit costs tend to rise. And so that's getting priced in. And uh, folks are kind of holding back from actually increasing their exposure to an economically sensitive uh, sector like, like banks. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell uh, how things play out. But from where we sit, uh, we have uh, really uh, our individual customers are uh, very strong. They have high levels of liquidity. Employment is very uh, uh, good levels and prospects look good. Companies have weathered the pandemic very, very well. They've moved to a digital business model. They've leaned their expense bases. Uh, they're having great years. It could be even better if they weren't contending with labor tightness yeah. and supply chain issues. Uh, so, you know, you kind of take that as a backdrop, even if the Fed uh, you know, causes a recession, I think it would be very shallow and very short. And that shouldn't really result in much of an increase in bank charge off rates. Uh, that's so, not you. In the past, you haven't seen that happen. If you go in on a solid mm -hmm. footing, like we're going in now. I guess that's that's pretty bullish, a shallow and short lived recession. Bruce, two, two spots, though, that, that you have to be feeling it, though, are mortgage mortgage loans and, and auto loans. How, how ugly is that going to get as the Fed continues to raise rates here? And, and what are you doing about that? 
Well, uh, in the mortgage business, uh, we actually have a bit of a hedge taking place. So production volumes are down, but our servicing book is throwing off more income in the higher rate environment. So I'd say we're probably at the bottom in terms of our mortgage uh, revenues uh, at this point. We'll probably find stability here. You're seeing a lot of announcements that mortgage companies, including banks, are uh, taking capacity out of the system. Uh, which should lift margins if you look out three, four, or five quarters uh, into the future. So um, anyway, I'm not that worried at this point about the mm. mortgage. And then auto, uh, we we ramped up auto uh, during the pandemic, spreads widened, so there was an opportunity to play there. Uh, we said today that we're now going to start to put that back on a glide path down. Spreads aren't as attractive, and so we see better opportunities to uh, grow our balance sheet in some attractive areas on the consumer side, home equity line of credit is interesting. Our citizens pay and unsecured business is interesting. And then, uh, you know, on the corporate side, uh, you know, there's there's uh, uh, line utilization is going to lift uh, loan growth. And then there's also more deals are getting done in the loan syndication markets as the institutional market and public markets have been uh, largely shut down for the past couple of months. You just called, I think you called the credit environment pristine. So, so you're not no. seeing any signs of credit deterioration, both, both in consumer and commercial? Because this is, as you re referenced, something that investors are really worried about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable, really. Uh, so if you look at any metric, if you look at uh, the criticizing commercial loans in, in uh, the corporate side, uh, those trends are favorable. If you look at uh, delinquencies on the consumer side, uh, no alarming trends, in fact, very, very stable. So uh, to have a 14 basis point charge off rate uh, for a bank our size with a mix of consumer and commercial uh, is really pretty remarkable. And uh, we keep thinking that things are going to normalize, uh, but they don't. They continue to stay uh, very solid. So uh, so feeling really good right now about the credit outlook, at least through the through the rest of this year. That may, we, we, I interviewed the CFO of Wells Fargo and the CEO of Bank of America in the, in the last week, and, and you may be the most bullish of all of them, which is actually a generally a trend we're seeing more from, from regionals and super regionals. Bruce, thank you for joining okay. me. Okay, my with pleasure. The color. Bruce Fonson, the CEO of Citizens. After the break, shares of $200 billion pharma giant Novartis moving higher today as well after earnings and revenue topped estimates. We'll talk to that company CEO about M&A opportunities, something that biotech investors have been waiting a long time for, and also some pending drug price legislation potentially from the Senate. You're watching Closing Bell with the Dow up 700 points near the high of the session, a broad-based rally. We're all over it here on Closing Bell. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Shares of $200 billion pharma giant Novartis moving higher today after the company topped earnings and revenue estimates before the bell. I spoke earlier with CEO Vasnara Simon and began by asking him about the question investors are most focused on for the stock here, which is the future of its Sandoz business, the generic drugs, which drove the beat today. But the company has said before it's looking to put up for sale. Listen to what he said about it. Sandoz had a good quarter, and it really was driven by a few factors. One, we had the recovery of healthcare systems uh, around the world, driving demand for generic medicines. And we also got back to launching medicines in our key geographies like Europe and, and Japan. You know, so we feel good about the growth outlook. We raised our overall uh, top-line outlook for, for Sandoz. Um, and so we feel good about where the business is. Now, looking ahead, we're on track to really read out our strategic review uh, before the end of this year. That's consistent with the timelines we've had, continuing to evaluate either a spin, uh, an exit, or retaining the business. And I think we're on track to give the markets uh, clarity on that before the end of this year. Got it. You, you mentioned the normalization that we have seen post-COVID in the trends for doctor's visits and, and hospitals. Is it at a sort of normal level right now that you would expect to see before we got into the pandemic? I would say generally, yes. Uh, there's, of course, some geographic variations, which I can say some more about. But I would say in, in key markets like the United States and Europe, whether we look at breast cancer diagnoses, diagnoses of new patients in dermatology or rheumatology visits and cardiology, we see really us getting back to pre-COVID levels, which is really positive, I think, for the outlook for our business and also for our sector and also for patients who need, need better therapies. Now, in China, we do see the impact uh, of the rolling lockdowns on some of our brands. Um, that was not the case in Q1. We saw a little bit of that in Q2, but we are seeing that also stabilized. So that's one thing we're watching carefully is how the, the situation in China evolves. But overall, I'd say a pretty positive trend. You mentioned the, the inflationary environment. How does that impact you specifically? And, and how does it impact pricing as well? You know, when you look at our sector, we're generally not uh, significantly impacted by, by inflation simply because of the gross margins of the many of the medicines that, that we uh, bring to market. But one place we're definitely seeing an impact is energy prices, particularly energy prices in Europe. We have most of our manufacturing footprint in Europe. And so energy prices has been something we've been watching. Now, I'm really happy to say we've been able to offset that through our productivity programs, as well as some of the transformation programs that we've announced. And so we haven't seen that impact the bottom line. Hence, you saw the, the core operating income growth of, of 5% um, in the quarter. But it's something we're going to have to keep working on and, and keep, keep watching you know, really, really carefully. Now, in our sector, we have limited ability to pass on price, uh, uh, cost increases in, in, with price increases. Uh, we can do that in some markets, and we're doing that appropriately wherever we can. But really, we have to leverage productivity to offset those higher energy costs. It brings us to the issue of drug pricing, which is ever-present here in the U.S. How are you thinking about this new Senate bill? If, if it should pass, what would be the impact? We're watching very carefully, seeing how the final language works out. I mean, for the sector overall, I think it, it has good elements, particularly the reform of Part D, 
capping patient out-of-pocket costs, but also damaging elements as well, a very onerous, I think, provisions that will could impact innovation. Now, for Novartis specifically, the, the impact is, is relatively limited, given that you know we um, have a limited exposure to government pricing programs uh, in the United States. We think this is manageable, doesn't change our near and midterm growth outlook. And of course, we'll have to evaluate once the final bill comes, what would be the longer-term impact. But I would say relative to our peer set, we're at the, the lower end of the spectrum in terms of impact. Got it. So no, no meaningful change that you would make if this does go through in the business? That's right. No, mean, no meaningful changes uh, in, the, in the near and midterm. I think longer term, we'd have to just see how the, the details of the bill work out and see if that changes maybe you know, the, the kind of pipeline programs we might prioritize in the future. But that's not something that we see that will impact us in the very near term. What about m and I, I always ask you about this, Voss, but there's been a little bit of pickup. It's still way below expectations. Considering how much cash you and, and other pharmaceutical giants have, what, what is it going to take? You know, there, there's certainly um, the, the, the fact that the XBI for the biotech index has adjusted significantly down. And so certainly valuations are at an interesting level. But that said, what we really focus on is the science. And it was a really good science that would support making, you know, an M&A move. So we're continuing to evaluate, particularly at the lower bolt-on level, sub $2 billion, which I've talked to you in the past, is really our, our focus. And trying to see, are there assets that match up scientifically because we believe they could replace the standard of care or have a really compelling clinical benefit, and then the valuation works out. I do believe that some of the biotech companies are getting more realistic about expectations, but that hasn't fully happened yet. That may take another quarter or two, I think, before that realization really sets in. What, what do you think is ahead for the industry? Your stock has been a little bit more defensive. You're obviously bigger, but we've been in a biotech bear market. We've seen layoffs. I know yours was due to the restructuring, but what, what do you predict as far as, as that, especially if we enter into a global recession? You know, I think our sector, healthcare in general, but the pharmaceutical sector in particular, we're, we're a, a counter-cyclical sector. I mean, we, patients need their medicines. Demand is driven much more by healthcare epidemiology and aging than by macroeconomic factors. So my expectation is in this period, we will continue to be a defensive sector. I mean, relatively speaking, our industry has held up pretty well over the recent quarters. And then I think what I'm really excited about longer term is this new kind of era of innovation that you and I have talked about in the past that we're in, where we move not just from chemical drugs and, and monoclonal antibodies, biologic drugs, but into this whole new era of RNA therapeutics, cell therapies, gene therapies, radioligon therapies. These are all areas where Novartis has a leading position. And what I believe over the next decade, that science will continue to mature and we'll get many more medicines out, which will drive the next wave of growth in this sector and hopefully for our company. I followed up and asked him about the, the pipeline specifically in the near term. He pointed to a technology to treat prostate cancer using microdoses of radiation, along with the breast cancer treatment that he said could be a seven to nine billion dollar market opportunity as potential near term catalysts here for the stock in the next year or two. Let's give you a check on the markets right now. By the way, IBB Biotech up 3%. The Nasdaq's up about 3% right now, just about at session highs, up 2.6 on the S&P with every sector rallying today. It's big cap tech. It's also smaller tech. The ARK Innovation Fund, for instance, is up 3.5%. It's being led by some of these, of some of their actually pharma plays, DNA plays, like Beam Therapeutics up 12%. A lot of these stocks that have been absolutely hammered over the past few months. 
Coming up, Hasbro CEO joins us for his first TV interview since taking on the role as CEO. The stock's a bit higher today off earnings, but still near 52-week low. He's going to join us with his game plan to turn things around. And then later, the must Twitter drama gets real. The first hearing in the case took place today at a Delaware court. We'll bring you up to speed on the latest when we come back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Check out some of today's top search tickers right now on CNBC.com. The 10-year Treasury yield t- taking the top spot, and actually we're seeing yields a little bit higher today. There's some selling of bonds. The market managing to rally even technology, despite the fact that we're back over 3% on the 10-year. Perhaps that softening dollar is really helping things out. There's a lot of focus on the ECB meeting this week, potentially getting more aggressive, maybe a 50 basis point hike. Maybe that's driving up yields globally. IBM is an earnings loser, down 5.7%. We'll hit that later. Tesla up 2%. Apple rebounding fully. It's now higher on the week, rebounding from yesterday's sell-off, I should say, after some concerns about a spending slowdown. And the S&P 500 having a nice broad rally today, up 2.6%, just about at the highs of the day, led by the industrials. Hasbro beating Wall Street's profit estimates thanks to higher prices and strong growth in its Magic the Gathering franchise and some others. Up next, the company CEO here to discuss whether consumers are pushing back on these price hikes. It's his first TV interview since taking the Toymaker's top job. We'll be right back here with the Dow up just about 690 points. Take a look at shares of Hasbro getting a slight pop today after beating earnings estimates, but falling little short on revenue. Country's largest toy maker reporting its biggest quarter yet for Wizards of the Coast, which is the publisher behind Dungeons and Dragons. Despite a decent quarter, stock is still trading around lows that we haven't seen since back in September 2020. And joining us now for a closing bell exclusive is Hasbro CEO Chris Cox. Chris, welcome. No, it's your first hey. TV interview. It's good to have you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sarah. So let, let's start with Wizards of the Coast, the, the magic game, Dungeons and Dragons. What, what is driving the growth in this unit, which is, which is, we should say, where you come from? Well, yeah, Wizards has grown for 12 out of the last 13 years. And over the last six years, we've more than doubled the business. Um, you know, I think it's just a fundamentally strong brands, a highly engaged consumer base and a great set of channel partners and some really good product innovation. Is, is, there, is there a Stranger Things boost happening there? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think uh, generally speaking, D&D, Magic, they've really started to inhabit the zeitgeist of popular culture. 
Stranger Things, uh, The Big Bang Theory, you know, multiple movies and TV shows. Uh, nerd culture is, is culture now. <laughs> nerd culture is culture. Did not realize that. But also, there's a, there's a, it seems to be a certain nostalgia of, of the old school games in your portfolio coming back. Is that, is that a, a growth driver? Yeah, we call it multi-generational play and entertainment. Uh, it really is this, uh, this, this insight that play is not just for kids, it's ageless. And uh, people who really got into games and toys back in the 80s, 90s, when I was a little kid, or really I started playing, uh, they're coming back, just like kind of classic cars. You want to go back and play the games that were big when you were a kid. And uh, what's great about it is you want to share it with your kids. So we're seeing this yeah. multimodal distribution of our fans where you've got like this big boost in Gen X and boomers. And now you're seeing it uh, in Gen Z and uh, millennials. I remember playing magic cards when I was in high school, maybe, or maybe a little bit earlier. So, so Chris, the, the <laughs> one part of the portfolio that didn't work this quarter was entertainment, a decline there. What, what's happening? Well, I think you have to kind of piece apart entertainment a little bit. We sold our music business in Q3 of last year. Uh, when you take out the music business, our overall entertainment segment was up 9% year over year through the first half. Uh, you know, our TV and uh, our, our entertainment segment was down in Q2. But really, that's just a function of when we do deliveries of different movies and TV shows. Uh, for the full year, we're still projecting mid-single-digit uh, mid growth on the top line uh, and improving margins. Inventory was also a, was an interesting number, up 75% from a, from a year ago. So what, what is happening there? Because we have some reporting. We, we do some deep dives into the supply chain and the ports, and some of the ports that you import your products from are really backed up and really clogged. So are you, are you stockpiling ahead of the holidays? What's the story here? Well, I think for the last two years since the pandemic began, uh, you know, particularly in the back half of the year, we've had a lot of out of stock issues, which has hurt like our overall top line and bottom line performance. And so this year we moved up our, uh, our builds of key products, particularly a lot of our big chase items for the holiday by about two to three months. And so you're seeing that reflected in our inventory and in our retailers' inventory. Now, this inventory is of great quality. Um, it's a sought after product. And we're already seeing green shoots on uh, point of sales early in Q3. Uh, for instance, we just got through Prime Days with Amazon, which last year was in June, this year was in July. And we saw an uptick of 20%. And we think that's reflective of really strong product and our ability to chase it and aggressively promote with our retailers because we have it on hand. But what is actually happening with, with the ports problem and the supply chain issues? Is it getting better or, or worse? Uh, we're seeing it getting better. You know, our days on boat has, got, has declined by about half versus where it was at the peak of the pandemic, but it's still elevated versus pre-pandemic. Uh, our supply chain team has been working with uh, freight forwarders and the, the holistic supply chain, and we feel good about our position to be able to uh, work with our retailers and uh, make sure that we're able to supply them for hot product this holiday. What about prices? I know you've raised prices on the Nerf blasters, the My Little Pony. How, how's the consumer responding? And do you think that you have more room to keep doing that? Yeah, we entered the year with a relatively measured outlook for where we saw the overall economy and where the category is going. And we're maintaining that 
guidance. You know, on a constant currency basis, we see uh, Hasbro growing in the low single digits and our operating profit margins growing from 15.5% last year to 16% this year. You know, uh, certainly we're seeing a little bit of an impact on inflation with the consumer, but I think you have to take that in stride and recognize that toys and games and entertainment tend to be very economically resilient categories. And we're certainly seeing that in our results and what we're calling for our guidance. That's what I was going to ask, because clearly the stock has been hit and there are concerns about consumer and discretionary items. I, I'm wondering how, how you look at the portfolio and the resilience going into a, a recession. You, you think it's defensive, actually? Well, I think you can control what you control and you try to not participate in a down economy. And that's exactly what we're doing. You know, when we look at the consumer and we look at the consumer profile, we certainly see inflation pinching kind of the value in mass consumer. And so we're making sure that we have great OPP product, opening price point product uh, that has, that's at attractive price points that consumers can build from. And then when we look at the high discretionary consumer, uh, you know, people who are making $100,000, $150,000 or more a year uh, in terms of their household income, we continue to see very resilient uh, personal balance sheets there, uh, great employment rates, and a high willingness to spend, and uh, a relative inelasticity in terms of price points. And we think our product lineup this year, whether it's Nerf with our new gel fire blasters, or inside of games with what we're doing with Magic and Dungeons and Dragons, or what we're doing with action figures with our new selfie series, where you're able to scan your face in with an app and literally create uh, your own action figure of yourself, uh, literally take yourself to shelf. Uh, we see a lot of demand among that consumer segment, despite headwinds in the economy. No, there's a lot of excitement about that one. Also about the, the new Wordle board game that you're working on with the New York Times. So, so Wordle's not just a fad? No, I think it's the next social phenomenon. We've had great success with that in t over time uh, with our board game portfolio. We're excited to be partnering with the New York Times. In fact, uh, you know, it's only been available for a couple days via pre-order, and it's already been setting records for us in terms of the number of people who've been buying it. So what is the problem, Chris, with the, with the stock? What do you hear from investors as you have you begun, you know, as CEO, listening in the last in the last few months? You're undergoing the strategic review, and we're waiting to hear an update maybe on Investor Day in early October. But what what do you think is the big concern now that you're past the activist fight, where you where you prevailed in that proxy battle? Well, I certainly think there's concerns about the general macroeconomic conditions of the consumer. And as I said, I think we're seeing a lot of robust demand in that. And historically, we've seen that inside of entertainment, games, and uh, toys. You know, I think uh, we've had an amazing growth run in our Wizards of the Coast and our digital gaming segment. We are pleased with how that's performing. You know, our tabletop revenues were up 15% in Q2. Magic the Gathering was up 11%. And we continue to see that moving forward. So, you know, I took over as CEO about five months ago. We'll continue the dialogue with our shareholders. And I think they're going to like the thesis that we're going we're to share with them, both in what we do in terms of earnings calls and what we have coming up at our Investor Day in October. Chris Cox, th thank you very much for coming on to talk about the quarter and what you're seeing. Sarah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> nerd, what did he say? Nerd culture is back. Mike Santoli was very happy to hear that. Here's, here's where we stand right now in the markets. The NASDAQ, look at it, zooming up almost 3%, S&P up 2.6. So we're holding on to these gains, and we are near the highs of the session. Really a few a few losers, and they have to do with earnings. IBM and J&J &J in the Dow will hit both of those in the market zone. In the S&P 500, you've got every sector higher, and particular strength in financial groups, in industrial groups, and in 
some of the fintech and areas which will also hit. Look at Netflix. It's rallying ahead of earnings after the bell. Shares are up now roughly 13% or so over the past month. Coming up, we'll discuss whether subscriber loss concerns could sink this stock. It's already down more than 60% this year. As we had to break, check out the automakers. GM's getting a boost. News today of a deal with the U.S. Army to provide electric vehicles for analysis and demonstration. Plus, a new EV Chevy Blazer. Ford's moving higher as well. So is Tesla. We'll be right back. Check out today's stealth mover. It is Cinemark. Morgan Stanley upgrading the movie theater chain to overweight from equal weight. The analyst there does not believe the return of consumers to theaters is currently reflected in the stock price. Says that the target is 36 bucks, and that assumes a full box office recovery in 2023. It is currently being driven by younger men with releases like Spider-Man and Top Gun. The crypto rally is on. We will discuss what is driving those gains straight ahead. That story, plus travel stocks and cruises. Also casinos sharply higher today. And the latest on Twitter versus Musk when we take you inside the market zone next. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, we've got Kate Rooney here on another big day for cryptos. And Julia Borson on the latest in the Twitter saga. We're seeing a pretty nice rally here with the Nasdaq outperforming up 3%. Mike, if you look at what is leading the S&P right now, auto parts and equipment, apparel, accessories and luxury goods, hotels, resorts and cruise lines, three of the hardest hit areas of the market, very cyclically oriented. It, it does feel like we're in this market where one day it feels like we're going into a sharp, deep recession and the next day it feels like, hey, maybe we'll get a soft landing. And that today is one of those days. Exactly right. I mean, all you have to do is sort of turn the dial down a little bit on the imminent recession fears. And you do have a lot of the market that is spring loaded to react to that. It wasn't one single bright flashing headline that had people saying, hey, maybe the economy is going to be OK for a while. But the I think accumulation of the bank earnings telling you that things seem OK for now. Uh, again, that natural gas may be flowing back into Europe. The dollar down three days in a row. Credit spreads really coming in hard from, you know, relatively wide levels. All of it incrementally working in the direction of having an underinvested uh, kind of professional investor base feeling like they needed to top up exposures. I wouldn't go farther than that, except to say it's it's constructive and it's broad uh, without being decisive. But how, how do we how will we know whether it is something longer lasting or if it's just a bear market? rally. We've been fooled before. I would say it's the persistence of a move like this. If we do get little pullbacks, they're not back to the lows of this trading range around 3,700. If you do get further uh, follow through to the upside, getting above 4,000 is a start. Uh, I would say navigating through this thick uh, uh, kind of outlook of, of earnings reports over the next week and a half plus the Fed meeting, you know, that all looms pretty large. Uh, the market's going to have to absorb whatever comes along with that to, to, to prove that this is more than just another relief rally. Yeah, and the commodity Story, the sort of anti-inflation story continues to be mixed. Brent yeah. is lower, WTI is higher, crude WTI back about at $100 per barrel. Check out IBM. It's sitting out the rally. In fact, it is the Dow's biggest loser right now. Better quarterly numbers. The company did post 9% revenue growth. Would have been 16 without the currency hit from the strong dollar. Profits, three cents ahead of forecast too. But IBM did change the outlook for cash flow, which is what everyone's focused on, saying $10 billion is now more realistic. The prior range was 10 to 10.5 billion. And it reflects two things, the suspension of Russian operations and foreign exchange. I did speak this morning with Arvind Krishna, the CEO of IBM. He says the stock today is an overreaction because the, the bulk of the gap is 
the currency. And that, he says, shouldn't, shouldn't come as a surprise. We have covered the dollar and its march higher to multi-year highs against the euro and against the yen. IBM has a big business in Japan. And Krishna says that we're not going to back off strategically in that business. They do the business in local currency, so it does get devalued when IBM brings it back home and switches it into U.S. dollars. Krishna also says it's not a perpetual issue as well, so he does expect the comps to look a little bit easier next time around. Now, the other question some have been worried about in a slowdown where we're seeing GDP decline and a recession potentially is what would it mean for tech spending? Well, IBM CEO says he does not see any evidence of that slowdown. And Krishna says he expects technology to stay three to five points ahead of GDP for two main reasons. Number one, tech is a source of competitive advantage for companies. And also we're in this tight labor market where wages are rising. And in that case, tech is a solution. Investors have been worried about a slowdown in the consulting business, but IBM CEO says his clients don't have the expertise in-house, so they're actually not cutting back on that. So I, I would say, Mike, really pushing back against some of the slowdown narratives out there on the stock. Some are also complaining about a slowdown in Red Hat, but he says that that's just an accounting issue. He's going to talk much more about this when Jim Cramer interviews IBM CEO Arvind Krishnan on Mad Money tonight from the brand new set here at the New York Stock Exchange at 6 p.m. Eastern. Looking forward to that. But, Mike, there, there have been people that are still not fully convinced of this turnaround story, even though the underlying with growth was good. The currency, I think, continues to surprise. Definitely one of the issues. First of all, the stock was up year to date coming into the report. Very few stocks were. It clearly has been this complete counter move to the rest of the market. Uh, you know, it was kind of neglected and looking cheap. So I think all those reasons people bought it was because it did have those financial characteristics. You know, look, if you want to be bullish on IBM, you still have to, I get guess through a lot of these kind of seeming one-offs that are constant and the fact that there's an implicit margin worn in the in the rest of the year guidance and you know there's some revenue growth that had been coming from its former subsidiary Kindrel that maybe it's not going to be my point is it's always a noisy report you have to fight your way through it to figure out what the underlying trend is which, which is according to the CEO the underlying trend is pretty good let's hit Bitcoin Mike because it's booming again we're back above 23k actually at the highest level now since mid-June Kate Rooney joins us Kate, how much of the crypto rally related to broader market sentiment, the fact that stocks are up and there seems to be some relief around the economy and inflation? Hi, Sarah. Yeah, it does really go back to what you and Mike were talking about. Crypto, though, is still very much a macro story. So this week it's getting help from some of that optimism, especially around tech stocks and those high growth names. And on the crypto specific front, We've talked about some of the liquidity issues, bankruptcies in the industry, and people I'm talking to say that's really cleared a massive amount of leverage from the system. So investors are hoping that the worst is over for prices, at least, and say crypto, for the most part, was able to survive this shock. There's a little bit of hope now that Bitcoin may be nearing a bottom. Uh, one positive signal is investor sentiment now rebounding. If you look at something called the Fear and Greed Index, it's around a 30, so it's still at fear but it's been an extreme fear in recent weeks. It was as low as a six a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this could be very much a relief bounce, like you and Mike talked about when it comes to stocks. On Bitcoin, though, there's still very much a lack of new demand that might prevent Bitcoin from getting back to that all-time high anytime soon. Either way, though, Bitcoin rallying, that's good news for some of the crypto-related stocks. You got Coinbase up double digits today, Block and PayPal getting a boost, MicroStrategy 
has been a, a Bitcoin proxy, and then some of the mining stocks. So one big winner today, Marathon Digital, that was up 28% at one point earlier today. Back to you guys. All, all, anything related, it's crypto, but also some of the fintech stocks, Kate, really making a move higher, and it, and it extends beyond crypto. I, I know we had some good credit card data from the top issuers and earnings, like a JP Morgan and a Citigroup. Um, and Bank yeah. of America. What else, what else are you hearing? Because we're seeing some double-digit moves in some of these Upstart stocks. was another big winner. I know you're, you're spot on there when it comes to fintech. I think the expectations were so low and have been so low for some of the lending companies. Buy now, pay later. But that has really been baked into the stock price. So anything that points to the opposite or points to things even being normal has been a great sign for fintech and has really helped these stocks, Upstart especially today. But some of them, like a PayPal, very exposed to that stronger dollar. So, so beware some of these very warnings true. that we're starting to get. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Let's hit the travel stocks as well. They are rallying for a second day in a row, led by the cruise lines, which are among the biggest winners today in the S&P 500. On the cruises, the CDC announced it will no longer track COVID cases on these ships. But it's not just about the cruise stocks. Look at Expedia, Booking Holdings, also sharply higher. Seema Modi, so are the casinos. What is driving this move? Part of it could be, uh, Sarah, what we're seeing in the currency world. We've now seen a 27% increase in bookings from the U.S. to Europe this summer versus last. And that has coincided with a dollar that has strengthened in recent months. The removal of the pre-departure testing requirement, that was a big help, as the CEO of Marriott, Tony Capuano, told me yesterday. And as you rightfully said, the CDC is sort of loosening its oversight of the cruise lines. Stiefel analysts writing that this is a big win for an industry that desperately needs it. They they, they say that it'll improve perception around cruising and give the major operators, Carnival, Norwegian, Royal, uh, more flexibility on how they approach testing and the number of people that they allow on board. Just looking at the price action today, Carnival now trading at a nearly three-week high. The bookings numbers, as always, in the next few weeks, that will be key in understanding whether the lower prices that they're offering and now this CDC news is, is helping them generate more demand. And if this price action is a one-day bounce or if it can really build on these gains. We know these big operators are down nearly 40% or more this year, Sarah. No, Caesars Entertainment right at the top of the S&P. That one's down 55. Carnival, you mentioned Expedia, also in the top 10 right now. Seema Modi, Seema, thank you. Look at Twitter shares. They got a pop today, midday, right after a Delaware judge overseeing the lawsuit against Elon Musk ruled in favor of Twitter, saying the expedited trial will go ahead in October rather than next year, which is what Musk had been pushing for. Julia Borson is here. Julia, what does it all mean for Twitter? It looks, it looks like they got a little bit of a win here in the first it, shot. This is definitely a win. I mean, Twitter wanted a four-day trial in September. Musk wanted a 14-day trial in February. The, the judge saying that it's going to be a five-day trial in October is certainly much closer to what Twitter was asking for. But I would just point out that in the judge's comments, she definitely seems to understand the risk of this whole situation to Twitter. I'm just going to call out what she said about how the delay in this deal risks irreparable harm to the company. So indicating that she is sensitive to, to how challenging and problematic this has been to Twitter. Uh, and, and I would say that it really indicates that there's a chance that things could go in Twitter's direction, um, much more so than if she had ruled in anything closer to what Musk was asking for. All right. Well, so we've got to ask you about Netflix, which is the big name to watch on earnings. The stock is rallying into this report, but obviously has been a big loser so far this year. What should we watch? 
the key number to watch with Netflix, as always, it's subscribers. Netflix warned it would lose 2 million subscribers in the second quarter. Analysts expect most of those losses be in the U.S. and Canada. But the other subscriber number to watch is guidance for the third quarter. The company told investors it expected subscriber growth in the second half of the year. Analysts are projecting it will forecast a gain of 1.8 million subs in Q3. Now, disappointing numbers could hammer Netflix shares. It lost 22% after its January report and 35% after its April report. So we will be watching. Sarah? Thank you very much, Julia Borson. And also, Mike, a potential spillover effect on some of these other streaming names like a Disney or a Time Warner. We saw that last time, or Warner Discovery, I should say. Two minutes to go yes. in the trading day. Every sector is still higher, near the highs of the day. What do you see in the internals? It's very broad, uh, this rally, Sarah. If you take a look at the uh, New York Stock Exchange volume breakdown, pretty been pretty close to 90% to the upside all day. Uh, this comes after Friday was similarly, if not quite as broad. So it might fall just short of 90%. But uh, people look at these clusters of very, very broad uh, rallies as maybe giving some credence uh, to the idea that you finally have some real demand coming. And we'll see if that does play out. I mentioned credit a couple of times. If you look at the high yield ETF relative to a similar uh, treasury bond ETF, you see an outperformance over the last month or so. Now, this is a catch-up move, still underperforming on a year-to-date basis, but there's been a little more uh, firmness in the credit markets. That underwrites equity valuations on some level. Volatility index receding down in the 24s, low end of the range. Real bullish would be a crack down to 20, but, you know, when the S&P 500 is up almost 2.5% in a day, you're not going to have uh, the implied volatility embedded in the VIX go down too much, so we'll have to monitor that, Sarah. Mike, thank you. Two and a half percent almost gain for the Dow as well. Take a look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 741. We are now making new highs for the day. A bit of a rally here pop into the close. The biggest positive contribution is Goldman Sachs continuing its strong earnings reaction. United Healthcare, Boeing and Caterpillar also contributing the most to the Dow gains. The only losers in the Dow right now are IBM and J&J, both responding to weaker earnings, both responding to a stronger dollar. The dollar's weaker today. That may be a force behind the rally. If you look at the S&P 500, you've got every sector higher. Industrials are the leading ones. It's cyclically driven. Energy's doing well. Financials having a good day. Pretty much everyone in this rally with the Nasdaq popping 3.1%. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.